Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the Sleep Doctor, and welcome to another episode of Sleep Success, your health and awareness podcast. Also, if you haven't already, please do me the favor and subscribe to the Sleep Success Podcast. And if you can, give me a couple of stars rating, hopefully five, and a review. We'd love to hear from you. I'm especially excited about the guest who's going to join me shortly, Dr. Leslie Ellis. Quite simply, she's a dream doctor. As a leading worldwide expert in the clinical use of dreams with a specialty in PTSD, we're going to discuss all of the aspects of those vivid stories that play out in our head while we sleep. But first, let's go to the wake-up call. This is the part of the show called The Wake-Up Call, where I take a look at all kinds of new and interesting research and tell you what's what, giving you my take on some of the most interesting thing going on in sleep out there. So there's a viral video making the rounds of a dad named Austin Miles Gerder putting his baby daughter to sleep by slowly stroking her eyebrows for just under a minute until the little one just basically passes out. For those of you that have struggled putting your kids to sleep, here's my thoughts on that hack. Don't do anything that you don't want to do for a good three years every single night. One of the things we learned early on with our children was if you start doing things like this, they begin to expect it and they use it as their own way to calm themselves down. Remember, children need to learn how to calm themselves, not by having you do something. So a whoopee or a teddy bear or a mobile, all of these things are great tools, but if you don't have them around, it can be kind of catastrophic. So while this might work in the interim, I don't think it's probably the best idea long term. Next, a new study out of Baylor University found that 73% of atheists and agnostics sleep at least seven hours a night, compared to only 55% of Baptists and 63% of Catholics. The data comes from the Baylor Religious Survey, a nationwide poll that has been undertaken five times since 2005 and asks questions on religious beliefs, values, and behaviors. The last update was in 2017 with over 11,000 people surveyed. To be honest with you, I'm not convinced that it has anything to do with how religious you are or are not, depending upon your sleep. I think it has more to do with being open and following some great general guidelines. I'm not a big person who likes to mix religion and science, but what I can tell you is you can certainly be far more spiritual when you've been well-rested. And if you're listening to a sermon, no matter whose sermon it may be, it'd be great if you could stay awake for all of it. Finally, because of COVID, telemedicine has become even more standard across the medical industry. Well, it's apparently working for patients with insomnia in a really interesting way. A recent study showed that patients actually showed equal satisfaction between meeting one-on-one -on -one with their doctor or doing it via telemedicine. So this is a great new piece of research because, quite frankly, there just aren't enough behavioral medicine specialists who can be out there helping people with their insomnia. So with this new tool of telemedicine, it makes it so much easier for people to be able to finally see somebody who really knows what they're talking about. The good news here, again, is with insomnia and telemedicine is that it actually works pretty well. So believe it or not, it might work better than pharmaceuticals. It certainly does in the long run. So if I'm talking to people about these types of ideas, one of the first things I would let them know is, look, there's a non-pharmaceutical way of being able to work on your sleep and you might want to consider it. And now it's time for a very dreamy sleep story with my guest, Dr. Leslie Ellis. 
Joining me now is good friend and expert in dreams and nightmare treatment, Dr. Leslie Ellis. Her areas of expertise are clinical dream work, trauma nightmares, and experiential approaches to working with dreams. She's the author of A Clinician's Guide to Dream Therapy, which I just got, and it's actually quite fascinating. I'm learning more and more all the time. She's also written papers and book chapters uh, on focusing and embodied experiential dream work. She's going to tell us more about what that is. She's also taught and delivered talks worldwide as the keynote speaker to the 2020 conference for the International Association for the Study of Dreams. My new friend, Dr. Leslie Ellis, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're super excited for you to be here. <laughs> My producer, Michael, and I, we've been tossing questions back and forth quite a bit um, because we're all so interested in everything that you've got to say. But of course, you know what our first question is going to be. How on earth did you decide to get involved in dream work? I have always been interested in dreams from as long as I can remember. And so it started with just having, I think, very vivid dreams and also been a daydreamer as well all my life, just like to stare out the window and, and, and have dreams during the day as well as at night. And um, then I was about, my first career was as a journalist. And then after about 10 years of that, I went into counseling psychology. And the program I took was at Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is a Jungian-oriented school. So ah. DreamWork, yeah, DreamWork was part of what I learned. And I remember the first class I had with, a, with a, a Dr. Lionel Corbett. I still remember it like it was yesterday of him doing a piece of DreamWork with one of our cohort and all of us just being so uh, fascinated and so blown away that you could not just have dreams, but really do things with them to make to make internal shifts and and so it 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 really was a to me a striking way to work and as i've done it in my own practice i found the same thing it's a very um it's a very effective way to get into sort of deeper issues and emotional um core the emotional core of a lot of matters and so i'm sure so when you're going through those types of programs, I know when I was doing clinical psychology, it tends to be a bit self-reflective at times, right? And I'm sure with dream work, and you and I have talked offline about how you, you've done some work on your own dreamings, in fact, was that part of what drew you to this whole idea or was it more just the fascination of learning about what's going on in other people's heads? No, I've definitely had my own intense uh, and and really life-changing experiences working with dreams as part of my the program we were um uh you know not encouraged it was part of our, our program to to do our own therapy so i i signed up with the Jungian analyst and of course dream work was a big part of that and i write about this in my book i had this this very uh intense dream um where i i was born premature and not really expected to survive that and then i also had a a near-death experience of drowning when i was 17 and i had this dream that combined both of those experiences the imagery was clearly tied to both of those experiences and i had a lot of as you can imagine a lot of (laughs) feelings about that that were very deeply buried and and so i worked with this dream and i found my experience of of that Dreamwork session that I where I worked with this dream in particular to be just really dramatically uh, life changing at, at at a level that I couldn't really articulate. I could just tell you that I could really feel it and I could feel the power of it. So I I do want to um, in my own practice engender those kinds of experiences for my clients. 
So, so what you're talking about, which is striking me as, as quite interesting, and, and many of the listeners out there may not understand this, you're not talking about dream interpretation. You're talking about dream therapy. And there seems to be a really big difference, at least in the consumer's universe about it. You're talking about true therapeutic work, understanding, working through emotions based on things that are happening in our dreams, giving us clues, using metaphor, things of that nature. You're not saying, oh, well, I dreamt about water, so I must hate my mother type of thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I think there's a, a general um, sense out there uh, that people, that you can look at up a meaning of something in a dream dictionary and go, yeah, that, you know, dogs mean death or, or <laughs> owls or um, if you, yeah. So, it's and I really don't uh, believe that dream dictionaries are that useful. Uh, there's sometimes they happen to be accurate, but um, there 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 are so many ways that the images and dreams can be different uh, depending on your experience of it. I, an example that I like to use is I had a friend who dreamt about this. Um, um, he would dreamt about a frozen lake at the top of a mountain, and it was snowing and stormy and. Uh, it sounded to me like a miserable dream. I thought, oh my goodness, that, that doesn't sound like a very good place to go. And I asked him, so what, what's your feeling about it? Because I was thinking desolation, loneliness. Right. He said, no, that to me is, uh, is heaven on earth. He was a backcountry skier and this to him was one of his favorite places to be in the world. So I think that you just can't make assumptions about what the dream image means unless you ask somebody. Right. And so it's very participatory, right? You're talking with your clients, working with them, asking them what they think about the dream. How do, what does the dream mean to them? As opposed to you saying, you know, there's this assignment of this image to this meaning. Right. And I think that's historically what a lot of people think is they think that that's what, that's what you do. But in fact, what you do is far more important than that, far more in depth than that. And you've got quite a bit of research behind it. I was looking through, um, looking through your book, uh, which by mm -hmm. the way is excellent. Um, oh, it's, thank you. it's more for clinicians. I have to tell people than it probably is for consumers because it really goes into depth with the science and things like that. And I know some of our listeners are going to be interested to hear about that. Um, but one of the things that I, I, I recognize that I thought was interesting is a basic part of your work is teaching people how to recall and record their dreams. Right. And to be honest with you, historically, I've always told people, be careful what you ask for, because if you start recording your dreams, you're going to get them all the time and all the time. So let's crack a few myths here and let's talk about how do you actually, you know, what is part of that process of the recording of the dreams and the remembering of those dreams? So it's interesting when I tell people I, I've been writing about dreams, the first thing uh, very many people say is I don't dream or um I don't remember my dreams is more accurate because we all dream every night. But uh, I would say that um, the, the one of the simplest things to, to um, increase dream recall is just to pay attention to your dreams. So to capture the snippets that you do remember and write them down because the dream, dream life seems to respond to that attention. Um, the other thing, and I think this is partly why more people are remembering their dreams during this pandemic, is that if you take your time when you're waking up. There's usually a dreaming process that's still happening as you're shifting from, from sleep to waking. And so in that, in that in-between state, you can catch your dreams if you don't, if you're not shocked awake by an alarm and leap out of bed right away. If you, if you, if you actually lie still, for some reason, it seems that as soon as you move your body, you kind of lose the place that you were in your dreaming. 
So if you, when you first are aware of waking up, you're probably still going to be aware of what remnants of the dream are still there in this crossover space. So that to me is the, is the richest place to try and start to capture your dreams. And even if you think, oh my goodness, I am never going to forget this. This is so amazing. I've discovered the secret to the universe here and I'm not going to forget. It, amazingly, um, you will. As soon as you get up and <laughs> start moving around, you think, Oh, where, where did that dream go? And unless you actually stop and record it in your in 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 your explicit memory, stop and think about it, register it. So go over it in your mind a couple times before you get up. It will slip back away, and and uh, that that's because our dreams are not really when we're dreaming. We're not really recording our memories, so we think we're going to remember it, but we don't. So. Yeah, it's a couple things. Lie still and think it through before you get up. And okay, so next part is do you actually write it down or you do like a voice memo on your phone? Like really basic stuff. Like if people really wanted to get into it, what do you think? Yeah, um, write it down if you if it's daylight and you can see. And right. you, you know, um, <laughs> uh, even, even just a couple of notes, a few lines of the central images will help reel it back in. Uh, if you have time, write the whole thing down because the details can get lost. And sometimes the details are really salient. So like where the magic uh, happens, right? Exactly. Although some people dream uh, like an epic novel every night. And so for them, it's not practical to write everything down. But for most people, uh, writing down the whole dream is really the way to, to capture it all and try and do it right away or as early um, after waking as possible. Got it. Got it. Now, in, in re reviewing your book, you are a science-based person, which I I love. You love data just like I do. And this is not an easy universe to have a lot of data in, in terms of dream research and things like that. So I was wondering if you might be able to help some of my listeners understand more about like, what is dream research? How do some of those, how do we learn more about dreams in more of an experimental setting and, or in a, an experiential setting, which is the stuff that you're going to be teaching us more about? Yeah, so dream research is, um, it really took off when they discovered rapid eye movement and uh, at the time thought that they were, rapid eye movement was equated to dream sleep. And it is true that REM sleep is where we have our most vivid and interesting dream life. And that started a, a whole uh, avalanche of dream research. But what they, they've discovered, they, they basically um, will, will put people into sleep laboratories and measure things like the, their eye movement, heart rate. They can, they can tell the different uh, stages of sleep people are in. And what they tend to do is when they notice that people are in REM sleep, they'll wake them up and ask for dream reports. And, but it's still kind of one step removed from actually uh, recording a dream. And so you're always relying on subjective reports, which for, for scientific researchers is not not ideal and so there's it's kind of a hard thing to capture they've tried you know inducing lucidity in a dream lab i was going to ask you about that yeah. next <laughs> hmm. yeah i have a good friend michelle carr who who has been able to do that quite reliably um even with people who haven't had lucid dreams before by by sort of partly waking them up through you know little sound and a little bit of light but not enough to wake you up but enough to kind of cue you that you're that you're asleep and dreaming and then they get them to signal because you can still move your eyes when you're dreaming, but not the rest of your body to signal their eyes back and forth three times to say, yes, I am dreaming. But they still can't really get a lot more information about it. It's really kind of a, all you can really rely on it for details is subjective experience. So it's, it's one of those fields of study that I think is 
always going to be a little bit of a mix of, of objective and subjective study. Well, but you know what? I kind of like that idea, right? Because it keeps our mind open to new ideas and new areas of science that we may or may not be thinking about or even understand how to assess, right? We might not have the right tools yet to be able to assess a lot of this. And so we're using, you know, what we have. So help us understand more about this idea of experiential dream work and what does that mean to you? So this is my this is my way of working with dreams that I feel like is getting at uh, getting back into as close to the dreaming state as possible because I think that you can only let your dreams really talk to you if you are kind of uh, listening with the same sorts of languaging that the dream uses. So and and the dream uses mostly um, emotion to cue the images. This is an idea from Ernest Hartman, who's a very respected dream researcher, who said that dream images are are they're images of emotion. So metaphorical images representing the most salient emotions. And so if you see them that way, then there's strangeness um, is lessened because they're, they're then the images are actually referring to feeling, but they're not literal. And a lot of dreams can be um, just make, they can make a lot more sense of them this way. And what I, I think, and this is, backed by research, although all of, all of the things about dreams, ideas about dreams are really theory. Nobody knows for sure. One of the theories that seems to really make a lot of sense is that uh, we're processing emotions during, during our dreaming. And so if it's true that our dreaming is processing emotion and picking up on the things that are most salient to us, then if we pay attention to those things uh, during, say, dream therapy, by going back into the experiences in the dream, going back into the emotions, seeing what feels like it might be about, what needs to happen, then we're actually continuing to do the work that the dreams are already doing. And it, it seems to strengthen their impact. And they are good for us, even though sometimes they feel scary and um, really intense, that they're trying to help us sort through those feelings. And so when we work with the dreams in this experiential way, we basically what I think is continue the work of the dreaming itself. So it's almost like continuing to dream, to work through the processing of the emotion to kind of get get past whatever that wake up point is to, to help pr that person move through that idea or that feeling or that emotion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the wake-up point, meaning if it was an intense enough dream to wake you up, right. which is the definition of a nightmare. And what I found, really, I, I don't think it's ever happened that it hasn't helped to work through the, the nightmare and dream it forward, work through the feeling, imagine what might happen next. It always seems to uh, change the dream. And sometimes the dream that they've been experiencing over and over again just simply doesn't come back after that. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's quite, it, it feels quite amazing to me, but I, I, for so example, it's almost I just like they got stuck. Yes. And you kind of yes. unstick them and then whoosh, they're kind of off and going. So, so we're talking a little bit about more uh, negative um, types of dreams just by their very nature. If they wake you up, you said, are there different types of dreams? Cause I've always thought that like, I have, like I have one dream that is my stress dream, um, that I seem to only have when I'm stressed out, I'm happy to share it, but I know that there are nightmares that are associated with things like PTSD and trauma yes. and things of that nature, which are very serious. Um, and, and, but, but are they treated the same way? Like what, what are the, so let me back up different types mm -hmm. of dreams. And then are there different treatments? And then I want to share with you my stress dream. <laughs> okay, Sure. 
Uh, yeah, because I mean, with nightmares, you're actually hoping that they're going to stop. Of course. And so the idea of nightmare treatment is to dream the dream forward. Uh, the way I see it, like we often, we will wake up when the nightmare is the scariest. Uh, and I think it's just, we just get the physiological storm of fear responses and we can't sleep through that. And so the dream always stops there and, and we keep having it because it is still trying to work through um, whatever trauma or difficult situation the dream is about, but never gets to do its job. So if we take what the dream is about and work through it in, in you know, gently, carefully work through the feelings that it brings up, then when we go to have that dream again, I think that it, 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 it just isn't as intense. And so it doesn't wake us up and we sleep through it, may not even remember it, that then it feels like the dream is completely gone. And that, ha that seems to happen quite frequently. So, and so that's, right. That's just one type. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, you want me to no, no, no. That's interesting. That, that brings up a second question though, is what is it like in session with you? Like, let's say I come in and I say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Michael and um, I've yeah. got this crazy stress dream um, and it's, it's driving me crazy. What do I, what do I do about it? W help me understand. Cause I've never, I've never been in one of your sessions before. So yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> super curious. Oh, I will for sure. I'm super curious. And I'm sure my audience is too. Like, what would it be like to do a dream work session with one of these different types of dreams? What would that experience? So like? what I do is as long as the dream isn't overly intense if it is i have to, to do a few things to make sure that it's safe for the person to go back into that material but assuming that what i do is i have i would have you go back into first of all just the atmosphere of the dream the setting bring back as many details as you can the smells the sound so it's a really immersion so you're sitting in in a session with somebody and you're talking yeah. them through it and you're saying okay remember the environment of the dream look at what yeah. is the lighting like what is the color like like and you're literally paint helping this person paint the picture in their mind's eye but they're not asleep correct they're awake they're, they're awake okay because yep. i because some people think that dream work is only done while you're sleeping so i wanted to i wanted to break that myth that what you do is you take the material from the sleeping dream and you bring it forward during the session and you start to work with them during the session but they are awake correct they're awake, Got yes, it. and they're but they're sort of in a um, trancey ish, you know, light trance, a little bit deeper, like a meditative state Got kind it. of. It's and so they can go back into the dream, and and I can tell when they're back in the dream uh, authentically because they can look around and they can actually see things that they didn't remember um, when they were writing it down. They'll they'll be able to kind of walk around their dream and see what's there, and so the first thing I do is that it reimmerse into the dream. And then I might um, do a number of things, but one of the things I find really uh, quite can be qu quite startling and helpful is uh, if they're if they're willing to try this to actually become a, a character or an element in their dream. It's the thing oh, really? that seems the most yeah the most surprising or the most uh, um, thing that they can't figure out why it's there. Uh, for example, there was a, a, a woman who I worked with who dreamt about an albino surgeon and this, she was going through a surgery and this dream had a very uh, foreboding feel to her and she was quite scared of it and didn't really feel good about it. And so I asked her to just become the surgeon and you would be surprised. People can do this. They can go into this uh, subjective experience and look around from there. And as soon as she did that, she could feel, oh, his intention is actually not to hurt me and there was a, a a really big shift in her experience the whole 
dream got suffused with light and it could change the, the tenor of the dream completely and still does. And what she remembers now is what, what had this nightmarish quality now has this kind of spiritual quality to her. And that isn't unusual. And what I think is that the dream elements represent very different subjective experiences, but they're all ours. Mm-hmm. Potentially. I mean, right. nobody knows for sure about that either. But, um, but if you try them on, then suddenly the thing that was other or scary or you get to know from the inside what it's like and it can completely shift your experience of it. So that's one of the things that I would do. Another is just to, if the dream feels unfinished, is just to imagine you just press play and you let your dream play forward. And just let it do it, not make it up. There's a really qual- a strong qualitative difference between those. But then uh, dreams that feel unfinished carry forward and often surprise the dreamer where they go. But then there's a resolution that maybe wasn't there when they woke up and they'll feel better about the situation and their dreams will change. If they're recurrent dreams, they'll, they'll change. So why is everybody right now having all these crazy dreams? Is it just super duper stress and all kinds of weird stuff that they were never expecting and it seems to be coming out? Because it's like, I get asked this question by every single patient in every single news outlet. They're like, Michael, my dreams are nuts. What's going on? Yes. I, I mean, the, the, the one thing I already referred to is that people are actually sleeping um, in longer and waking up more gradually. So the dreams that are there are getting recalled where they might not have been. Oh, that's you know? interesting. So because they don't have a firm wake up time, they're actually getting through a little bit more REM and they might actually be getting more of their dreams. I hadn't thought about that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I mean, our REM is concentrated at the, at at the, the latter right, third last the third. Yeah. And so yeah, you get to experience more dreaming. Uh, then also our emotions are more intense and there's a lot of subliminal emotion. We, a lot of times the, the, the dreaming picks up on the things that we're repressing and sort of not wanting to think about, but there's, there's this invisible threat around us all the time. And so it'll come out in our dreaming and, and then, you know, just everybody's life has been shaken up in, you know, various ways. And so, yeah, when we're emotionally unsettled, our dreams reflect that and are trying to help us sort through it. So I think it's, it's, it's mainly that, that mm-hmm. and, the, and the sleeping in. Right. So I, I completely agree with you. I also feel like the lack of movement um, has something to do with the depth of sleep as well. I think people aren't moving, so they don't have to recover as much. And so we're not seeing the depth of sleep, which can lead to more REM and all that kind of good stuff. So when you so I want to tell you about my stress dream. Can I tell you okay, about my stress dream? Sure, of course. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm selfishly taking this part of the show. Um, so I, I, o- I always have this dream whenever I'm particularly stressed. So all of a sudden I'm in my high school, surprise, surprise, mm-hmm. and the bell rings and I run over to my locker and there's a, it's a combination, it's like one of those long, thin lockers and it's got a combination dial and I'm late for the next class. So I have to receive my materials and my books and I'm spinning the dial and I can't remember the combination. And that's the dream. And it just happens over and over and over again. And are you naked? Because usually you're naked in these No, I'm not. That's yeah. the good part. People always are saying like, like, are you naked? Like, no, dude, I'm, I've got clothes on. I just can't no, seem to get good. the class. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah. So you have a question about that? Well, um, so I'd love to know, like, so that's my, what I call my stress dream. And so how I've identified this, and to be clear, I am no dream expert. Uh, Dr. Ellis is certainly going to teach me a thing or two here. I, I think that's my dream that tells me when I've got some stress, maybe unconscious stress that's going on and I need to take a stop, have a think, 
and just look at what's going on in my universe. And what I've discovered is that's that seems to work quite well for me is if I have that dream, I wake up from it. I know ex- I know that I've had it for whatever reason. And then I stop and I, I usually try to either meditate or breathe or just spend a little bit of quiet time and try to just kind of check in with myself because there's usually something going on, whether it's a financial worry, something about my children, something about, you know, who knows, but I usually can discover one thing that feels um, it's like I haven't taken care of it yet, or I, it needs more attention. And so when I, then I give it that more attention and then usually the stress dream has a tendency to, to go away. I usually only have it one, maybe two nights in a row. Right. Yeah, that that is a fairly common dream motif that being back in your high school, um, you sh- I just actually wrote a, 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 an article about this, someone naked and, and giving a presentation in their high school and, <laughs> and actually do a transcript of the, of the dream session and describe how to resolve it. But what I think matters is, you know, what I would pay attention to is the specific details because yours is a little different than the, than the naked presenting with a, or writing an exam, having never been to class all, right. all term or something, and that you have to figure out the combination and you don't have very much time, which right. might kind of describe specifically what kind of stress you're under. Oh. And like, so I would unpack that a little bit with you if, if, if I was doing a session. And then the other thing I would do is have you imagine you're there and slow everything down and get into a calm state and imagine that you are maybe going to find the combination and, and work that through yeah. and, that, and see, what that, see what happens. Because sometimes just resolving it in the sort of waking dream state can, can help shift it. And, and then I would be interested to see if it still happened. That is so cool. Oh my gosh, I love this. This is so amazing. That you are so fascinating. I'm I'm thrilled to have you. You're coming back, by the way, just so that you okay, know I'll whether you like it or not. <laughs> okay, I have a couple more questions that I, I have to ask. So I, I don't think it's an inappropriate one, but I I don't want it to become inappropriate. But what about sexual dreams and and things of that nature? What help us understand a little bit more about what are those? Are they good? Are they bad? Help us understand what they are. Well, they're considered really good dreams, um, good. probably uh, subjectively as well as in terms of uh, personality and they're, they're like birth dreams as well are considered good dreams. Death dreams even sometimes are considered good. Uh, so this is maybe going back to the Jungian idea, first of all, of sexuality, where Jung would say that that's a, um, uh, a way that there's, you know, parts of us coming together and, and really deep internal union he would consider most dreams intersubjective so not meaning literal sex mm-hmm. and that's one way to read them uh, i would say that any dream that feels good is a good dream mm-hmm. uh, so as if it's a, if it's a really good sex dream then it's a good dream and i also think if you think of that again as if this is a metaphor for emotion uh, sex would mean deep connection uh, physical release uh, whatever it means to you depending on the um, the specific context of the dream. I'm always interested in the specific details. I, I mean, people will tell me, oh, I had a, a sex dream, for example. And I will, I will usually ask, well, yeah, but, but with who and what kind of sex and, you know, what, right. what was leading. So, cause it, it can really matter. Like your, like yeah. your, like your high school locker dream is different from the typical one. And so I think that those will help, help sort out, um, what it would mean. So I hate to give generic interpretations. No, no, no. But, I think that's, but, I think that's yeah. very interesting. And so the, the other question that I get asked a lot about sex dreams in particular is, is it okay if I have a sex dream about somebody that's not my partner? 
And oh, of course. <laughs> what does that mean? And so I'm always like a whole like you got free space in your brain to dream and believe and fantasize about whatever. So I don't I don't see that as being bad, but I'm going to ask you the expert. Is it is it weird, bad, whatever? Oh, no, you don't apply the same moral code you would in your waking <laughs> life to your dreams. We have no control over what our dreams are doing. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're an unfaithful. Um, it might mean, for example, if you're having sex with a, a particular person, you might be interested in what about that person is, is amazing and how is that really a part of you? And what, you know, because your dream might be indicating you're, you're joining with that 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 aspect of yourself or that that is something like that and um certainly <laughs> no you don't get held responsible for your actions and dreams thankfully you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely so uh, also i know that you've done group dream work before because you mentioned it in your in your book what's yes. that like it's like everybody hanging out talking about their dreams like that sounds kind of cool <laughs> It is. And, you know, some people um, are involved in dream groups that go on for decades. They've oh. become a, a very deep, yeah, um, sort of uh, connective experience. And what you do usually, um, the typical format is called the Ullman group process. This is based on a format developed by Montague Ullman. And what you do in this way of working is the one person will bring the dream. Usually it's the person with the most recent dream, but the group can kind of decide what dream gets to, you know, be the, uh, the center of attention for that um, particular uh, session. And then the person will tell the dream and, and people will get the details. And then what they, what Omen suggests is that, the everybody will imagine that they've had this dream that it's their dream and then offer their um their associations or projections whether the, the dreamer can take or leave it but with a whole collection of people you get a whole bunch of different perspectives on your dream and some of them can be very uh, you know just just really give the dreamer a, a sense of of perspective they didn't have and so that's the central part of the process and then the dreamer kind of responds and then everyone can also go around one more time and offer what they think the dream might be giving what what it's bringing that would be helpful to the dreamer it goes really deep because even if you do this with a small snippet of a dream you can spend an hour and a half on this snippet and get a lot of you can really get a lot of information from the dream and sometimes uh, uh, really important information and you know there was one example of this type of dream work that um the late Jeremy Taylor was also a great dream worker, uh, wrote about in one of his dream groups, a woman had dreamt about a rotting purse of meat. And as a metaphor for, you know, some, something, something deeply wrong. And so she had her, she went to the doctor and she was about to go on a long holiday. So she went to the doctor and had it checked out and turned out that she had a very aggressive form of uterine cancer that would not, that would have killed her had she not insisted on getting it diagnosed. And so with dream groups that go on a long time, people can sort of say, hey, this dream doesn't seem like your usual dream. You should pay attention to this. Or you get to know people's typical dreaming and it becomes a very deep, kind of um group process that that can sometimes save your life in wow this case it, yeah. so the, are there a lot of dream therapy experts like you out there so if people wanted to let's say do some dream therapy work how do they figure like i mean you're one of the first people i've ever encountered that does this kind of work so are there networks of people are there how do we know that there's a good dream therapist like how does that work well i would say you would look up 
a dream therapist in a similar way that you would any therapist and that you would um, talk to them, but, you know, interview them, look at their credentials and make sure that it feels like there's a fit. Uh, the International Association for the Study of Dreams is a good sort of oh, right. place to start. They have a website and, 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 and not just dream researchers, but there, there is a mix of every sort of dream uh, aficionado in that, in that, in that, group they're most the most eclectic group of people you'll ever meet and so that's not a bad place to start um Jungian dream, dream Jungian therapists always work with dreams but they do work with them in a Jungian way so if you're interested in that um it, it's actually you know, I don't know if there's a central place that you can find but well then people can also it. come to your website and learn more about some of the stuff that you're doing right yeah absolutely so yeah. why don't you tell them what your website is so that way they can find it it's drlesleyellis.com Perfect. My, yeah, name is L-E-S-L-I-E-E-L-L-I-S. Perfect. So I've got a couple of more weird ones for you. These are questions that sure. people have been sending in. I love it. So can dreams predict the future? And the reason that they ask is I had somebody email me that said, I dream about things and I swear they come true. Not all the time, but a fairly regular amount. Do I have some clairvoyant ability? That was their question. So this uh, is called a precognitive dream, and mm. it is a thing. And it does appear that, I mean, that sometimes people have had dreams that have brought to me or, or I've brought to my attention where what they dream about does happen. I don't have an explanation for it, and I know that it's a, it's a field of study on its own. I do think that, in general... Our dreams have access to more information than we're consciously aware of, like like the dream about the the woman with the with the uterine cancer, where we have probably a lot of information coming to us from our bodies, very subtle information, but we don't pick up on it, but some part of us does. So possibly there's also a, a, an analog to that in terms of what's going to happen in the world, and that um, the idea is that when we're sleep and dreaming we don't have our usual filters, our, our, our perception, you know how we can only see what we expect to see. Right. And, and so maybe in dreaming, uh, we just cast the net a lot wider and things come to us that might be possible to pick up on if we were, um, if we were more open. I, I guess it's, it's one of those many questions about dreams that I can't truly answer, but I can say, you know, it does seem to be a thing. And, yeah. and man, I don't know All right. what else to say. No, that. I get it. I get it. What about lucid dreaming? You had mentioned lucid dreaming before. I'm a lucid dreamer. I've, I've always been able to lucid dream since I was very young. And I saw a research study done not that long ago that said that there are now three reliable methods for inducing uh, lucid dreaming in people. There's an Australian method and a few others. Do you do work with lucid dreaming as well? So I don't per se because I work in a session with people and of course they can't they be can't lucid be dreaming sleeping. unless they're <laughs> sleeping. And uh, so, but I mean, I do, um, I do notice that this experiential dream work, which some people call a form of lucid dreaming because you're going into the dream while you're awake. So it's a little bit the opposite direction, but um, that does seem to create more lucidity in people's dreams when they start to kind of walk around their dreams and look around. It does seem like they're more apt to then wake up in their dreams. And it is a form of nightmare treatment. If people can, I ask them to dream the dream onward once they're awake and, you know, bring it to a better resolution. But if you can do that within the dream, it seems to have more power. So 
I, I do, if people ask me, it's not like a specialty of mine, but if people ask me, I can tell them various ways that are going to increase the likelihood that they become lucid. And, and for some people, it, it's, just a, it's just a very you know, powerful way to be with their dreams. It's kind of it's, it's, kind of its own you know, massive area and fascinating. And, and there are all kinds of offshoots to it. Whether, you know, what do you do when you become lucid? There's a, one camp that's like, well, then you take control and you go and do all these things. Or some people will say, no, that isn't going to be true to the dream and you should just be observing. And Interesting. You know, so it's, lots it's of a whole <laughs> controversy, lots of unknowns, but yet lots of exploration um, and lots of curiosity, it sounds like. Yeah, lots of people are fascinated by it. And, and one of the simplest ways I can tell um, people are listening to, to induce lucidity or to start to think about it that way is to just do reality checks during the day. So just see if you can put your finger through your palm, for example, and then it might occur to you to do that while you're dreaming, and then you'll realize you're dreaming. So that's a, that's a common one. But there are lots of ways, and there's lots of resources. And um, Claire Johnson is, is one of the people I recommend looking up if you're interested in ideas about how to induce lucid dreaming, because that's her, that's her area of expertise. So, so this has been super duper fascinating. I cannot thank you enough. We have blown through so much time. This is a much longer interview than I thought because you're so interesting. Oh my gosh, I love it. So I know my audience is going to love hearing from you one more time. If people want to learn more about you, about your book, um, how do they find out more information about you? So probably my website is the simplest place to start. And it has, I have links to all the various things that I'm doing. I have lots of courses and um, you know, lots of, so we'll have all of those in the show notes yeah. for everybody. So please definitely check out the show notes because we'll have all the ways that you can get to Dr. Ellis. Uh, and I promise you, we are having her back because she is so doggone fascinating. Leslie, thank you so much for your time today. You do such a great job of explaining such an ethereal topic. We're all very grateful for your, for your input. Oh, I just, I'm so grateful to be here. And I, I think it's my favorite topic to talk about. So <laughs> I'm happy to come back. And I think it's probably the dreams that are fascinating, not myself, but um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about dreams. Well, thanks for coming on. And we're definitely having you back, whether you like it or not. I like it. I will be back. <laughs> so I had to actually go back and listen to that interview at least two more times just to get it all in because it was so chock full of information. So my takeaways from uh, Dr. Leslie Ellis, first of all, dream therapy, the study of dreams is real, that's for sure. Um, while there is a large amount of subjectivity to it, there is some dream theory, which helps with things like emotional processing and things like that, but there is a quantitative method of studying dreams. Also, that dream therapy is real. It's not dream interpretation, you know, like, you know, you're dreaming about a dog and you hate your mother or something like that. It's actually using dream materials in a safe way to explore emotions as metaphors, right? And so some people sort of wake up, and that's, of course, the definition of a nightmare, and they get stuck, right? So they wake up in the middle of a scary dream and they get stuck and they can't process something. So, what seems to happen, as she described it, which I thought was just so fascinating, is it's a one-on-one -on -one session, and she makes sure that it's, you know, they're talking about things that don't really make people super upset or depressed or things like that, not, you know, not super duper traumatic, but there's ways to work with that material as well. Then she brings them into the setting by having them close their eyes and, um, you know, imagine 
the dream world that they were in, everything to the colors and the sounds and all of that stuff. And then she brings them to the mindset, right? Again, you're in somewhat of a meditative state. And then um, in some cases, she just simply asks them to push play, right? And allow that thing to, to, you know, go forward because, you know, as I said before, sometimes with a nightmare actually is the definition of a nightmare is you wake up and you haven't completed it. So maybe it's just about pushing the play button. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. Then sometimes she'll describe, uh, you know, have the patients describe what's happening. Um, and, and then if there's something in there that's really particularly scary, I thought this was fascinating. She says that she asks the dreamer to actually take the role of that character. So if it's some scary person, they take the role of that character and they try to learn why is that person being scary and then they become less scary. Um, so it was just really fascinating work. Um, dream recall uh, is also real. So I said, you know, how do you, how do you do that? And she, she used the phrase, this is how you catch your dreams. She said, upon awake, awakening, you need to lie as still as you can. She said, any movement seems to kind of knock the dream out of you. You actively notice what you are thinking about. So thinking about the dream scenes or what was just floating around in your head. Then you stop for a second and you try to identify in as much detail as you can. And then you go over it again, a little bit of repetition. What she described to me is that dreams are not recording in your memory. They're just playing because it's a process and you're processing through your emotions. So if you want to remember them, you have to actively repeat them in your head. So uh, I thought that, once again, amazing insights into this. I've got notes here. I'm going through them all. Group dream work is available as well. This is where a group of people who are experienced dreamers, uh, I guess we're all experienced dreamers, but ex experienced uh, in the work of dream therapy, um, you know, start to look at insights of other people's dreams. And then um, how do you, I asked her, how do you find a dream therapist? Um, it turns out that there is an international association of dreams website, but they're really isn't really any central place. Of course, you can uh, talk with Dr. Ellis. It's uh, drlesleyellis.com, and we've got those uh, that link in the show notes. And then um, I asked another question that I just thought was interesting, which was, can dreams predict the future? And um, she said, well, we may be more open to information and notice things in our dreams, but it's still unknown if dreams can predict the future. What a fascinating interview. All right, everyone, now's the part of the show where I'm answering questions from listeners from literally all around the world. This is what we call the mailbag. So today I've got a question from Jill from Phoenix, and she asks, Dr. Bruce, if I wake up at 2 a.m., how do I get back to sleep? Okay, Jill, I got to be honest with you. This is probably the biggest question that I ever get. Now, remember, People wake up in the middle of the night for different reasons. But one thing that I have learned is when I look back at people and I say, what was the last meal that you had? More times than not, they finished eating around 6.30, 7 o'clock, maybe as late as 7.30. And then they're waking up at 2, which means that they were going for seven hours, which is where I think they've run out of fuel. Remember that in order to sleep, your brain uses a tremendous amount of glucose. So if you hadn't had it brought on board, it could be a problem. So what I think is happening is that people have a blood sugar issue in the middle of the night. Their brain says, oh crap, no sugar, and wakes you up, or at least puts you in a lighter stage of sleep where it's much easier to wake up. Okay, Dr. B, so what's the solution? So I've discovered that guava leaf 
tea, not guava fruit, not guava juice, but guava leaf tea turns out to be incredibly helpful in this situation. I think it's like 12 bucks on Amazon or something like that. Uh, also, if you like honey, raw honey, a teaspoon of raw honey appears to be very good for this as well. Uh, it appears as though that it takes a while for your body to digest the honey. So it seems to keep that blood sugar stable longer. Again, if you're diabetic or if you're a keto paleo, obviously honey is not for you. Our next question comes from Mark from Georgia, and he asks, what's new and not a drug that can help with insomnia? Wow. So this is something that we struggle with quite a bit because so much of the research around insomnia is focused on things like pharmaceutical interventions. However, there is a new company that I am working with, full disclosure, called Ebb Therapeutics. I've tried their device um, that you actually wear on your head. It's impressive. Now, I don't have insomnia, but what I can tell you is I've worn the Ebb forehead cooling device. And what I've discovered is my quality sleep is significantly better. So you might be wondering, okay, wait a second. This guy just said that he put a cooling thing on his forehead and it made him sleep better. So the data has become very interesting. Dr. Eric Knopfsinger, who's got one of the top sleep research labs in the world, has discovered that with particular temperatures for particular periods of time, you can actually quiet racing thoughts. Yes, you heard it here. You can quiet racing thoughts with a little coolness to your forehead. Now, to be clear, you can't just take a frozen bottle of water or a wet washcloth and put it on your head and expect the same effect. Um, I have tried this device and I got to tell you, this thing's impressive. But yep, there's, what's new is cooling your forehead to slow your thoughts. And finally, we've got a question from Mia from San Jose. And she asks, I hear that some people only sleep four hours a night, Dr. Bruce. Is that true? And how can I be one of those? <laughs> Mia, I, you know, lots of people ask me that. It turns out that there are people that are short sleepers. This turns out to be a genetic predisposition. Um, and these people function actually perfectly well on three and a half to four hours of sleep a night. I will tell you that many of them report depression um, and loneliness because they, in fact, don't sleep very much. And all the people that they care about are usually asleep while they're awake in the middle of the evenings. So yes, it is possible, but unfortunately it's genetic. You really can't make yourself into a short sleeper. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams.